dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining us, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? I'm good, man. It's been a, it's a good day anytime we get to record. Listen, I want to shout out Ali Henney, vice president over at The Witness, because she coined a phrase that I cannot shake. <laughs> she called the person who is the subject of today's Pastor Mike episode, quote, Rico Suave. Rico Suave. Rico Suave. I can't do the, the that's a hereditary thing. I can't, yeah, I can't roll the tongue. That's I can't sad, roll the R's. But we get but, your point. Listen, man. What's going on with these indictments? My, my, my. It's indictment season, baby. So You know, they have cuffing season. They have all- <laughs> <laughs> It's indictment season, baby. It's more like indictment year for Trump. This is indictment number four. Okay, so hang on. I I know this is this is like historical red meat for you. I know what? every time there's indictment, you're like, I'm literally living history. I'm going to tell my kids. We are through history. This is like one of the rare moments. Y'all see what I'm saying? You no. Know <laughs> well, it's it, like like historians, we hate the word unprecedented because everything has a precursor. Everything has a, a preamble. But this is truly unprecedented uh, that we would have a twice impeached. Y'all remember that? Don't forget. He was Bro. twice impeached, not convicted. But now he's facing not one, not two, not three, but four different indictments in different places for different crimes. Total number of indictments after this latest indictment in Georgia, which we'll get into. Total number of indictments now, 91 counts. 91. You know, when there was, they were doing the January 6th hearings and I was watching some of them, there was a moment where I was, I had it on in the background doing some work. This was months ago. And I stopped and I said, wait, what did they just say? <laughs> and you know, with this particular person, this particular president, you know, we, we're, it's, it's hard to shock us with him. You know, you can be shocked, but not surprised, I guess is the, is the right phrase. And so it wasn't so much what he did, but it was what was being described and how he's pushed the Overton window so far. Yes. That's that it's like, thing. oh, yeah, you know, well, he's doing this. It's like, y'all, this right here is a major occurrence that if any other president had done, they would be gone immediately. I mean, gone. But because he's established that sort of reputation for himself, people just accept even the less, you know, spectacular, the less unprecedented things that he does. They just accept them as normal. They just accept them as regular because he's pushed it so far. Right. And what's wild is they accept it not because of any sort of like exceptional excellence or skills. Like we'll give certain athletes or actors a pass or something because we like their stuff. Him, he's getting a pass because of a social social pathology. Like mm. he, ref, he 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 lies outright, blatant. And then when people call him on it, he doubles down on the lies. Not only that, he denigrates people. Yes. He throws people under yes. the bus. And the brazenness is actually what is encouraging certain people to to say he's a fighter. He's for us and give him a pass. So, I mean, that's one of the things that's that's really interesting. To back it up a little bit, so 
the most recent indictment is from Georgia. And in many cases, this is this is what a lot of people were sort of anticipating, because this is when he does the infamous phone call to I think it was the secretary of state in Georgia. And it was like, hey, find me eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty yeah. votes or whatever the number was. Raffensperger. Like, and this is a phone call that is recorded. So we have his actual words where he's calling for the exact number of votes that would give him the edge in Georgia for the 2020 election. So like case in point, perfect model of tampering in yes. a, an election. And we got him dead to rights because we got the um, the recording of it. So I think this is one of the ones that's going to be hard for him to shake because you, you have the physical evidence and it's less nebulous. Like he's clearly telling you, find the votes <laughs> right. that I need to win. So I feel like this one's going to be a little bit harder. But tell us more about this indictment, specifically in Georgia, because I think this is unique to Trump's case. Yeah. So, I mean, all of them, you know, there's the one in New York for the hush money with Stormy Daniels. There's one in D.C. for this little thing called an insurrection <laughs> that he uh, uh, helped instigate. Can, can I just say something? I just really want to applaud um, – I really want to applaud and recognize white pastors. I, I just really want to applaud you all. White evangelical pastors, you have successfully erased the January 6th incident from your parishioners' minds. I mean, just by- Quite you've, you've, a feat. You, you talk about all social pathology. You can't talk about someone storming the Capitol and people being killed and all that. I just, I, you know what? Hats off to you. You've, to, du you've doubled down. Hats off. To completely erase that history. You you did it. <laughs> Re, the, you, you, what, what's that verse? Remember not the former things of old. <laughs> Continue. I'm sorry. That's uh, that's that's an application. Um, <laughs> so yeah, George, the the Georgia case is is interesting. So and what I was saying is they're all all these prosecutors are sort of trying different methods, and so this one is like you say, Rico Suave, it's it's the Rico laws. Basically, the way this indictment is being framed is is not as just one individual committing wrongdoing, but as a network of individuals conspiring to overturn the election in what they call a, quote, criminal enterprise. And this is the same kind of approach they use to convict uh, mob leaders, and yes. gangs and all of those things, because what they want to do is demonstrate there was collusion to racketeer, to strong arm, to intimidate. And even though specific acts may not break the law in every single instance, together mm -hmm. they're telling a story. And that's also why Trump isn't the only one who was brought in this indictment. There's a total of 19 people. You know, what's so funny about that and ironic is one of the people that's brought in this indictment is Rudy Giuliani. Yes. And Trump's personal lawyer. Rudy Giuliani created the RICO. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so the originator of RICO is indicted on RICO. Not just justice. <laughs> Poetic. It's like, what? Whoa. I, and, that, and that's actually like very haunting, right? That is. You know, it's, it's haunting to think about the thing that you created to preserve the carceral state, like the thing that you created to put more people in jail for longer, then comes back to you. It's 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 a haunting reality, and actually, it caused me. I laughed first, and I was like, "Oh, well, hang on, that's kind of convicting." Right? Be <laughs> the careful. thing you create, you know, it could come back on you. Be careful, you do not become that which you fight against.
and seems to have happened here. So yeah, this is a this is a very interesting case. Also, it's a state case, so unless it gets transferred to a, a federal uh, courts, this is not something you a president can pardon himself or others from. So, so that's even if he wins, he's still got to deal with this. Right. Even if he were to become president, which is obviously his plan, he becomes president. He pardons himself. All this goes away. You know, all this goes away, and. Frankly, as far as I understand, the polls do not show a massive dip in support. Not at all. At all. Yeah, he's, he's still a, a large favorite in the Republican national primary. So this is all really interesting um, because, first of all, it's I wonder if he's going to actually run up against the strong arm of the law because he's so brazen. So before these indictments, he could be brazen, mm-hmm. but it it wouldn't have any effect other than perhaps political or social. But now he's wow. he's potentially going to be put under a gag order. Yes. Because Trump's MO, once this stuff comes out, he'll immediately release an email to his list of hundreds of thousands of people and say, they did this, they're criminalizing politics, we're going to use this. And he's defaming people involved, including prosecutors and judges and, and and voting officials and things like that. You can't do that when you're under indictment. Right. You cannot taint the 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 case yeah, you can't, by you going can't out game. in public. You can't run game on anybody. Yeah, exactly. That. So he's been doing that and prosecutors and judges are getting fed up and they're like, okay, we have a mechanism for dealing with this when it's people other than Donald Trump. And guess what? It can still be applied to you. So there's speculation that he may be put under a gag order. It was really interesting. He was, after this Georgia indictment, he was going to do a a big event where he came out and said, I'm going to show proof that the 2020 election was tampered with and this whole thing is a hoax. In a very rare case, he actually listened to his advisors and canceled the event hmm. because that was going to be proof positive yes. that he's doing something he shouldn't be doing while under indictment. So, you know, this is a first sign that maybe it might affect his behavior. But the thing that's been on my mind is more than any other election, this feels completely unpredictable. Hmm. It feels absolutely chaotic. Hmm. Because there's always variables, right? Yes. There's always variables, but never have we had the front runner for one of the two major parties under four different sets of indictments that could all, the trials could all at least start before the 2024 election. And then who knows? I think, you know, one of the one of the underlying thoughts that pretty much all black people, people of color have in the midst of this is he ain't going to spend a day in jail. And I think so most people have this assumption, hey, it's 91 indictments. It's this, it's that. And even when I was listening to the January 6th commission, I'll never forget. I was texting a group chat and I say, y'all, are y'all watching this, these hearings? And they were like, nah, you know, they, they, they ain't going to do anything with them and everything. And I'm like, I hear you. But today was the first time I got the distinct feeling this brother's going to jail. Hmm. I just got an intuition, gut feeling, oh, this brother might be going to jail for real. I mean, th- listen, for any prosecutor to take this on, to put it before a grand jury, 
with this, not just high profile, but with this particular high profile individual, they knew they had to have an airtight case. Hmm. So I think the legalities of it are beyond question. Now, whether it'll be a conviction or not, I don't know. But you gotta, you gotta sense that for someone to put their career on the line, they knew they had him dead to rights, at least according to the letter of the law. Well, and I would say it's not just your career, but really, and this seems hyperbolic, but it's, it's true in this sense because of January 6th, because of the ways in which he foments hatred and chaos and confusion. You're not just putting your career on the line. You're putting your lives on the line. True enough. Absolutely. You are putting your lives Absolutely. on the line. So I actually want to want us to dive deeper into the, what one, publication is called the poetic justice of who is bringing trump down legally i actually want to get into that but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back here on pass the mic Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pass the Mic. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler Burns with Pass the Mic, inviting you to join us for the Active Witness Challenge. You know, here at The Witness, we love symbols. And the 1965 March on Selma was an activation of Christians who loved Jesus and also loved justice. They walked 54 miles for change, for civil rights, for truth, and for freedom. And we want to invite people all across the country to join us for an entire month, the month of September, as we walk, jog, run, swim, or cycle 54 miles wherever we are. Now, this serves two purposes. The obvious purpose, of course, is we are activating our faith for justice, but we are also raising money together for the crucial programs here at The Witness. If you've enjoyed our podcasts, our events, all the things that we offer here to encourage black Christians to be free in soul and in body, we want you to join us. You can go to thewitnessfoundation.co forward slash AWC. And here's the awesome thing. You can join teams or even create your own team and encourage people together. Let me just put in a shameless plug. I have a team this year. You can look it up. It's called Feel the Burns. I think Jamar has a team, but don't worry about that. Join my team. But I have a team called Feel the Burns and I want you to join my team. Run or walk. I don't know what. I might be walking. This, this heat is serious. I might be walking, but run, walk, jog, cycle, swim with me as we commemorate the 1965 March on Selma. Remember, they walked so that we can run. So, Jamar, I think it's fascinating, not just that we have 91 indictments of a former president. I believe it's so fascinating that black people and black uh, legal minds 
and black lawyers and judges are the ones that are bringing these indictments against the former president. Uh, Early on in Trump's campaign, his first campaign, one of the things that I kept trying to push back when I was really trying to uh, uh, share reason on Facebook one of the things that <laughs> back when I was trying to very carefully uh, back worded, when I was yes. back when I was trying to share reason on Facebook, literally, like it wasn't even by that point. I, I said, you know what, people aren't going to listen when it comes to dead black bodies in the streets, but maybe they would listen to say, "Hey, if you're a believer in Jesus, this doesn't make sense that you vote for a person who calls minorities and um, ethnic minorities marginalized people." by names, denigrates them. One of the things that I said was very interesting is Trump either patronizes them by saying that they're with him. My African-American or, over Or here. he demonizes them. It's like, it's, it's one of the two. Oh, yeah. So it, it's no in-between. It's just a, a, a very stark when it comes to black people in particular. Mm-hmm. And people would push back. You know how it is on the very reasonable debate forum called uh, Facebook, or now Meta, um, the very reasonable Meta forum. But I found it so striking how one of the things that people were letting him get away with the most was the insults that came at black bodies and the ways in which he cleverly marketed insults around blackness. And the ways in which he attacked even athletes. You know, this is something we don't, this is something we forget. The attack, literally attacking Steph Curry and, and LeBron James. Colin and Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. Yes. And I mean, we're, we're sitting back here saying, oh, these are just attacking black bodies with abandon on forums like well, Twitter. Yeah. Calling places like Haiti as whole countries. Ex- exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I want you to talk about why it's so fascinating that now black lawyers are the ones who are bringing these indictments and black women are bringing these indictments and some of the backlash that they're already receiving right from this so shout out to keisha blaine historian uh biographer of fannie lou hamer and um uh uh, you know we've collaborated occasionally she wrote she's also a columnist for msnbc and she wrote an article titled getting indicted by Fanny Fannie Willis must be sending Donald Trump through the roof. <laughs> and mm. she's talking about this poetic justice to go back a little bit. Yes. Trump denigrates black bodies in general, but he has a special vitriol for black women in particular. And so Blaine reminds us though he's known for insulting people across the board. Trump seems to particularly enjoy targeting black women from black women in politics, such as Kamala Harris and Democratic reps Maxine Water and Frederica Wilson of Florida to black women in the media, such as April Ryan and Abby Phillips. Mm. Trump has hurled a litany of insults over the years. He even called former White House staffer Omarosa Manigault Newman, who was on his staff, the black woman who once defended him against charges of racism called her a crazed, crying, lowlife and a dog. Wow. Yeah. See, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, I know. There's so, there's so many. But he does have this special acrimony toward black women. And it is indeed black women who are bringing these charges and cases. So in the Georgia case, you have um, Fonnie Willis, who is the uh, district attorney and the prosecutor. And she is being her 
full black self and lawyer self and not taking any guff from this man. She is bringing all the receipts. She's the one who had this criminal enterprise Rico case, right? But not only her. Um, if you look at the DC case, you also have a black woman involved there. It's Attorney General Letitia James. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So these are black women who are leading the charge against Donald Trump, who has made a special case and mission to denigrate black women. And it's like, huh. It also strikes me that it seems as though they have a level of courage that maybe their colleagues don't Come through. in this regard. Come through. And I feel as though some people were really trying to maybe cling a little bit more to a um, a fear of of indicting a former president or a fear of bringing legal charges. The politics, the optics yeah, of it the all. The optics of it. Well, I don't want to be seen as influencing the political process and robbing the people of the democratic their democratic rights. And These are James Comey, former FBI director. A lot of people have accused Merrick Garland Merrick of the Garland, same thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and so it's fascinating that we're seeing a hesitancy on one side and then on another side, um, a, a, a fierce commitment to the truth. And a fierce commitment to justice and a fierce commitment to consequence. And it's also us again, you know, the flip side of it is us again relying on black women to save democracy, as they've been doing for centuries, right? And the unfair burden we place on black, because like you said, these women's lives are at risk. Yeah. Like this ain't no game. So, so one of the things I was thinking about are, we're heading into 2024 election season with every passing day is only ramping up. And so I was thinking about, well, how, how do we get ready? What should we expect? So here's three expectations. Okay. Unfortunately, they're all negative, but I just want us to be wow. prepared. Okay, let's go. Number one, political violence. Hmm. And we have to understand this is generally targeted political violence. So we had a precursor with this when they at the last second disrupted the kidnapping of Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. It'll be things like that. It'll be folks targeting election officials, politicians. Remember uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband? Yes. Hit in the head with a brick or whatever it was. Um, those kinds of acts, especially as these indictments, as these things go to trial, right? There is going to be, and, and here's the thing. No politician has to give marching orders. They just have to give permission. Hmm. So what happened with the January 6th election was, the insurrection, was Trump said, this isn't legitimate. We're going to fight it. True patriots are going to have to stand up. All you need is one person out of 330 million in this country to hear those words yes. and say, let's, let's strap up. Or as he said in one of his social posts, of if you if you mess with us, he used stronger language. You know, we're gonna we're gonna come back at you with things you've never seen before, yeah. and things of that nature. And so it's it's giving that not so veiled yeah. threat. And, that, and oh, but there's plausible deniability fight. because well, I didn't say this. It's just the I mean, you true. know the lone the media, vigilante, you know, right? The lone wolf, and that's what they're gonna do to deny it. But you. None of us, if we're looking straightforwardly at the facts, can uh, equivocate that they created the context for this to happen. I do want to reference one thing. We talk about political violence because the examples that you gave are true and the examples that you gave are signs of what's to come. But I also want to make sure people are aware 
this is going to happen also at increasing levels locally. Yes. So I'm always drawing us back to the idea of local politics, local interaction, local engagement. And one of the things I'm seeing even in, in my county are the, the exercising is the exercising of kind of the good old boys system when it comes to education or when it comes to uh, city council or when it comes to county commissioners or things of that nature. And so I think people need to be aware of uh, voting precincts and their voting rights. I think it's every church should equip their their members with what are your rights, um, have representatives that are there for them. Uh, we have members of our church that are poll workers and poll precinct captains. This is actually extremely important, <laughs> you know, to get involved with the process. So they educate us to make sure we know, but then they're also there on the ground to say no funny business is going to happen here. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've been doing this for years. We're going to make sure that these votes are counted accurately for whoever's supposed to win. We're going to make sure that this is done accurately and people's rights are not infringed upon. So I think we should expect and prepare ourselves, not just for political violence and a national scale that's far away from us, but we should be on guard and on alert for the ways in which people will use political intimidation or the threat of violence in local areas. Well, so you jumped my next point, which was (laughs) the second expectation is state level repression. And that's really where the battlefront is. I mean, uh, I used to live in Arkansas in the Delta. The current governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who served for two years as Trump's press secretary, is now governor. Bro, that's so surreal, man. It's wild, bro. Uh, she played the long game. She was like, two years, I got name recognition. I'm going to go back. I'm going to play off my daddy's because he was former governor yes. of Arkansas. She 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 bided her time, built her war chest, built connections for years, then ran against the eminently qualified opponent, Chris Jones, wow. black Democrat, PhD from MIT, amazing person. And he had some brilliant campaign ads, by the oh, way. Oh, brilliant campaign, brilliant person. I met him, interviewed him, and she won handily. In Arkansas, wow. which has been seen as tiny bit more moderate than other Southern states, for instance, the previous governor, Asa Hutchinson, actually said, you know what? In a pandemic, you should wear a mask. Like, <laughs> that, was, that was the bar How for unreasonable. <laughs> so anyway, she, she just um, – uh, her her department of education and she came she ran on i'm gonna be the most like pro child uh pro education governor this country's ever seen what that has meant is classes were supposed to start on a monday on a friday her department of education issues a directive saying that ap african-american studies which your state's governor Made a pariah. Why you got to put it on Your me? state's governor. That's not my boy. Don't be, don't do that, your boy. Thing. I didn't say you're your boy. I just Dude, said that's your what you state's were governor. Saying. Is you, that not true? You did it in a more polished way. Is that way. not true? <laughs> Man, I so, uh, she I said, I got to get out of Florida, y'all. Look, <laughs> pray me on out of Florida. I love Pensacola, but pray that Pensacola gets like more stick to Alabama governor. That or, might help. or Mississippi or something. I don't know. Um. So, so. She she said AP African American Studies, her department of ed, it would not count toward uh, credits. Now, that's since been revised a little bit. Like, it's up to the high school kind of a thing. But basically, there was through the Department of Ed support. And unlike every other AP test that the state pays for the actual test that gets you college credit, students and families have to pay for the AP African American Studies course out of pocket. Wow. Right? So, state-level repression that's one thing, right? The banning of books. I did not hear about this. So they got to pay it out of pocket. Yes, yes, yes. Public education. 
public education, AP course, you know, there it's there's always been a fee. Yeah, but, but I mean like, whoa. The state pays for any other course. Yeah. Including like European civilization, you know. So there's that that state level pressure on that. There's what you mentioned, the voting precincts, um, the intimidation yes. of poll workers. And I was in high school. I volunteered as a worker at the polls. Same. Listen, it is incredibly structured. Yes. They are very careful about counting votes and training people and protocols. I've been through those trainings because I, I'm a registered poll worker. I've been through those trainings. Those trainings are extremely intense. Yeah. Like they run you through drills. They run you through scenarios, case studies. It ain't no joke. What if someone leaves votes here and when they should have taken them there how do you report this person <laughs> that they left votes here i mean it is like it's not a game whatsoever it's not a it's fun in terms of you know you're getting camaraderie yeah, with people community. and things of that nature yeah. but it, it's not it's, it's not casual but here it, most of the workers are volunteers yeah so it doesn't take much to be like oh this is way too fraught too dangerous too whatever i'm not going to volunteer this year which then erodes our democracy, yeah. participation, all of that stuff. And then, like you're saying, it's local violence, right? Like, this is not going to happen just in Washington, D.C. This is going to be in somebody's county, somebody's major city or metro area. So state-level repression. And if folks are looking for ways to get involved, it's at that state, local, yeah. county level. And then lastly, and this is perhaps most infuriating of all, is tepid responses from a broad swath of citizens. Hmm. A, a, a lack of urgency, a lack of understanding what's at stake. And we, Christians included, um, especially white Christians, you shouted out jokingly before the pastor. Yeah, I was a little snarky, but I'm, you know, I'm here. But, you know, it's, but it's, we live, it's past the A mic. valid point, right? That, that a failure to sort of take um, the present predicament in our democracy as seriously as it calls for. And I think there's a hesitancy, and this is what I want to get your input on, is a, you know, your pastoral approach going into 2024. But I think there's still a hesitancy that to mention anything about politics means you're being partisan. Right. So there are, it's frustrating to no end. So many well-meaning Christian leaders who don't want to appear partisan, vote for this person, vote for that person. This is the Christian party. This is not the Christian party. They don't want to do that. But their response is, I'm not going to talk about it at all. Or we need to be respectful of it because it is broad kind of milk toast, whatever, which then has the impact of sedating the people. Yeah. So we recently moved to a, another house in the city and I was going through my books and so having to pack up all these books and I didn't realize how many books I had until I packed them up. Right. And I was going through and as I was putting books on bookshelves in the, the new place, I started to pick out some books that had really encouraged me through the last five years that we had been at the previous house that mm -hmm. had really helped me and really uplifted my spirit. And so I went on IG and I shared some of those books and one of them was a black political theology by J.D. Otis Roberts. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was always, I told them, I'm, I, I told the, the IG audience, I'm always frustrated when I hear pastors say, well, I don't want to be political. I don't want to be to this. When by necessity, the gospel in and of itself will always have political and social implications, mm -hmm. right? Just that, that saying Jesus Christ is Lord, 
mm-hmm. right? It's saying Jesus is King of Kings. Every time you say he's King of Kings, you're saying he's ruler over all rulers, right? There is a necessary political implication to even our common phrases that we think are apolitical and just spiritual. And I think we have to really develop a political theology. And, and I just encourage everybody, no matter who is listening, no matter who is tuning in to pass the mic, and that includes us who are native to this tradition to really mind the tradition and mind the history of black political theologians. And yes. I think it is of extreme importance to be having different kinds of conversation. And I think this is where it gets into, Jamar, is it's easy for us to say, oh, what he did was wrong. But it's hard for us to put it in a rubric and a framework that says, this is why we believe it's wrong, not just simply because it's wrong according to the law, which has been weaponized often against us, but it's wrong according to the idea of human flourishing for other people. It's wrong according to the idea of loving our neighbor well. It's wrong according to the idea of making sure that we are promoting the peace of the city and image bearers have an opportunity to thrive fully in God's economy, fully and flourish as God has created them too. And so I think... The hard part isn't necessarily calling out the indictments or calling out the issues or calling out the wrongs. The hard part is actually creating the theology and rooting it in a theology that says it's not just wrong because it's wrong according to society. No, this is an affront to the kingdom of God. It's a front to the kingdom of God because X, Y, Z. So I wonder, is that is that what's different? Because it seems pretty apparent now the failures of political theology that that have run rampant in many white churches right yes uh it's 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 this idolatry of the far right of the republican party on the part of many or this uncritical acceptance right so but in a sort of in a black church context where there is a history of um certain kinds of political progressivism participation in democracy is that what you're trying to inculcate or is because i'm imagining there's not the level of persuasion and hey this is wrong you have to come out of it that you see in many white churches yes but i think what i would say is two things to that yes i think also i'd do a little slight pushback to the people who want us to always talk about it. Now, here's here's what I mean. I'm not saying that it's not worthy of mentioning. I think it's actually a part of discipleship to tell people, hey, this is something that's happening in our society. We need to be prepared to protect ourselves against a wave of what's coming, but also to speak truth and shine light um, in dark places. I, I want us to remember that the vast majority of what we would talk about in our churches must apply, black churches must apply to the lived experience of black bodies. And the lived experience of black bodies has intersection, but does not always have a direct correlation to what we would find to be objectionable based upon a, a national view or a historical view of what happens in the US. So this is what I mean. Anybody can hear, absolutely, this person should should not be doing this. These indictments show that he's been allowed to use power unjustly and all those types of things. We, we get all that. But for the single mom with two kids, mm-hmm. with two jobs trying to make ends meet, mm-hmm. how do you address that and then connect that to her lived situation? 
right? And this is part of one of the things, this is one of the reasons why we have black preaching. Black preaching exists for the creativity to connect what is in culture to the people in the seats. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, searching the whole earth, right? God sees all. You know, sometimes we think we can get away with, you know, God not seeing. Sometimes we think we can get away with, you You know, you can hide some stuff from, from other people. Isn't it funny? Some of the calls that you made, they might get out. Mm. You saw this in the news. Someone <laughs> thought that they were going to make a call to find some votes. And you know, oh, come on now, pastor. Come on now. But, 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 you know, here's the other thing, though. He was found out. But, you know, we could be found out, too. So now you just brought it home. And you brought it home to the fact of, oh, snap, not only can we be found out, but the people who were against us can be found out. too. So it's the connection of God sees. But we didn't just say God sees. And this is why Trump should be uh, be in jail. And this is why. Well, no, we made a reference that everybody knows. But then you connected it to live situations. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think black, the expense of black Christian tradition and black rhetoric is so important at a time like this. Because it, it is both a haunting word to power and a comforting word to the marginalized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that as preachers, we have to hold in tandem the the truth and the critique to power and the comfort to the people. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the challenge, I think, with addressing this is you got to make connections. Sometimes I've seen our white allies will come to church and be shocked that every Sunday is not political. Hmm. That's interesting because the expectation on the part of white people. They'll come to church and think, oh, this is the justice church. Yes. Right. So That's we don't hear we about, about this. We just going to hear the news recited from the pulpit. Right. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but also no. We're not going to place. This is our refuge. And in the refuge, we reference, but we don't always highlight. Some some days are celebrations. Mm -hmm. And some days we're celebrating even after we saw mm -hmm. things in the news. Mm -hmm. Right? Why? Because this is our refuge. God is our refuge and our strength. And we believe God. So mm -hmm. we have much to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And we have much to, and yes, we will lament. And yes, we will cry. And yes, there will be tears. And yes, we will scream. And yes, but then we'll dance and we'll shout and it's the duality that a lot of people are shocked by. And I think it's also the duality that we need to embrace as well. Yeah. And it's a, it speaks to the holistic nature of black theology, right? Yes. Of really any good theology. Because I think a lot of times, particularly with politics and theology, we are looking for the quick, systematized political theology. Tell me how to think about X, Y, Z. Put it in a linear logical form that I can read, study, and apply. But when you're actually immersed in the life of Jesus and mm. the path of Come Jesus, on. it is much more holistic and integrated and hard to pull out one piece or one piece just to apply to. It's a whole of discipleship thing. So when I walk into your church any random Sunday and you're preaching a sermon, there could very well be justice applications, but you're speaking about, you know, righteous living on an individual basis, right? And I think it's hard for both black and white people and others to wrap our heads around the fact that it's not going to be 
this one statement, yeah. this one <laughs> sermon, whatever that unlocks yes. it all. It's a path. It's a journey. It's a context that informs everything, yes. not just politics, but the way we do our finances, the way we love our yes. children and families, the way we interact with our enemies, all of it is part of it. And the political theology and justice part is one component that informs everything else and everything else informs it. And that's what we have to immerse ourselves into. Yeah. There's so much more to say here, but I know our time is running short. I, I think the one thing I would say as well is how we teach people to live in this world is just as important as the commentary we give about this world. Come on, pastor. We have to teach people how to live in this. We have to teach people how to raise their kids in this. We have to teach people how to cling to hope in this. And as I'm reading these indictments, as I'm seeing all these things, that's what I'm thinking. How do I cling to hope in the midst of this? And how do I center myself as a leader and just frankly center myself as a man, a husband, a father to say, in all of this, I have to maintain my fidelity to the gospel, my fidelity to Christ, yeah. my fidelity to hope, and continue walking and living as if there will be an ultimate judgment day for s- no matter what, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Even if it's not yeah. here, even if I don't see it in this lifetime, there will be an ultimate judgment day. And that's, I think, what has given me hope in the midst of these indictments. As for me and my house. <laughs> <laughs>